Hey, I'm Clarita. I am your host. Thank you so much for listening. I just have a quick introduction up top. Disclaimer, uh, this episode was recorded before the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent protests all over the world and uh, bouts with militarized police forces in our cities. Um, I wanted to make it clear that I am against racism, fascism, and police violence. Um, I am participating in anti-racist actions such as protesting, donating money, emailing, etc., and I will continue to do so. So the interesting thing about this episode, though, is that Arish King Khan has committed to using his platform for social change for a long time. And in this episode, we talk about the ways he wants to uplift black voices and call attention to black power through his beautiful black power tarot deck um, and how that came about. The process uh, is amazing. The art exhibit that accompanied it. Um, also his soundtrack work for the invaders, the, t- uh, 2016 documentary on the, uh, civil rights activist group. And this took place in the 1960s and the same stuff is still happening right now as I speak. Um, so there's relevant content throughout. Um, and because he's involved with these causes, I feel good about dropping this episode now, but we are joking around. So I apologize if that sounds harsh. I'm sorry. Um, but I hope you all are staying safe out there and, uh, letting your voices be heard and heads up at the end. I was, uh, connecting from Seattle to Berlin. So we did lose our connection a little bit. There's a tiny bit of an abrupt connection cutoff, but at the end you get to hear King Khan's new single with Bloodshot Bill. The entire song is there. I'm Rich Bitch. That's the A-side. Um, you can hear a bunch of other releases at the Connibalism Bandcamp, and very soon you'll get to hear his very first jazz album, The Infinite Ones, featuring members of Sun Ra Orchestra, which we talk about in the episode, so check that out. Um, also, if you like this episode, please subscribe and share it. Uh, with your friends so other people can find us. Visit ruinousmedia.com for info and for other podcasts. And now, enjoy this meaningful, mystical, and ridiculous trip with me and King Khan. My guest today is a musician, an artist, a magician, the baddest, sweetest, creative freak alive, King Bamalama Hi. Hi. Wow, that's a beautiful intro. Welcome. I feel like I'm sp- stepping into a spaceship. Please step into my Festiva <laughs> ship. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? How's Berlin? Uh, surprisingly, well, the uh, we've been under lockdown for I don't even know how long anymore, but. Um, I think they're loosening up, loosening up uh, outside, but I'm kind of paranoid about, uh, you know, co- human contact. Yeah, have you been? How have you been dealing with it? I'm getting more and more paranoid every day. <laughs> um, I'm actually really lucky because my daughter uh, Sabalu is here, and my mm-hmm. wife, and they are cooking things that I've like never, never seen or tasted before. Oh wow! We got kimchi in production, <laughs> so. Um, 
actually family wise it's really wonderful to be able to spend so much quality time without any pressure and um you know actually we've just been busy really creating and, and being productive I love that. I love that instead of just complaining about not being on tour, you're making the most of it. I actually prefer this than touring. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have toured a lot. Yes. I have a spank bank full of memories. Uh, we'll get into that <laughs> a little bit more. <laughs> but that's so awesome that you guys are, are making the most of it and uh, getting creative. Um, are you all making music? Uh, yeah, music and art and painting. And um, it's mm -hmm. funny, actually, right before this, uh, maybe the first day of this uh, lockdown, I was down, I was uh, in, in my apartment building. Uh, and sometimes in my apartment building, when people have books that they don't want, they just put them in the front, near the front door downstairs, mm -hmm. so all the people can check them out. And, and so I found this huge stack of uh, really old uh, music, uh, like notation. This book was actually... Uh, Schubert's uh, unfinished A symphony in B minor. Uh -huh. And um, anyways, I just, I just caught it, caught it, caught it like, you know, from the corner of my eye and I just grabbed one and I was like, oh my God, I really want to paint on these pages. Sorry. And, and next thing you know, like I, I started making records for every piece of artwork. <laughs> okay. So that's the cover of your new single, right? Yes. You use that for... Nice. That, that one was uh, a portrait of little Richard I did. Aww. Did you do yeah. that before he died? No, it was it was after he died. Uh-huh. But uh, I would say, actually, he's one of the biggest influences, like right next to Sun Ra, probably, um, musically and spiritually. And yeah, he, he, he really meant a lot to me. Not only did he break boundaries, but like he disintegrated boundaries, you know, and... and and coming from the time that he came, you know, he like being a dishwasher in the Greyhound station, <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's remarkable, like that, I mean, he really did, uh, or was like, you know, the, one of the creators of rock and roll. Absolutely. It's, it's like, you listen to like, just, just a few, you know, like Lucille, you know, uh. it's, uh, I mean, or Tutti Frutti, of course, too. like, but there's so much more, you know, uh, girl can't help it. And like, it's mm -hmm. just like. The swagger and like the, the he had so much class and 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 yet he appealed to like you know, like every level of society. Everybody. He talked to everyone. Everybody. Yeah. Actually, I met him once. Um, I wow. was doing. Yeah, let me tell you this. It's I'll keep I'll keep the story short. But I was doing AM room service at a hotel here in Seattle, and he was in town to perform at the Experience Music Project one year anniversary. Um, do wow. you know what that museum is? It's like the Jimi Hendrix Museum. No, I haven't been there. It's a Frank Gehry designed. It looks, it's that big blobby thing by the Space Needle. Anyways, um, so okay. he was, the hotel was pretty close to that. He was staying and everyone was freaking out. Um, and he, of course he orders AM room service. Somebody ordered for him and it's a fancy hotel. So they, one of our items was a trout omelet. <laughs> wow. So that's what they ordered for him. And I got, I was the one who got to bring it up to the room and wow. I did my spiel when I walked, I had my cart and I, when I knocked on the door, a guy from the nation of Islam with a little bow tie opened it. Um, wow. and he was, uh, he was friendly, but I was like, okay, sir, do you, should I leave it here or would you like me to serve? And I hear a voice from inside the room say, come on in baby. 
Ah! Fucking imagine. I was dying. And I walk in, and I'm, like, having an out-of-body experience. And he, his hair, his mullet is all disheveled. He's wearing a little sweatsuit, jammies. Yeah. But his face, perfect. Wow. Uh, Actually, it's really funny. I I met a... uh... A girl from uh, whose whose father uh, ran a hotel in Berlin uh-huh. in like the fifties and sixties, and uh, at his hotel was where like all of the R and B legends used to stay Whoa. back in the day. And he said that uh, the wildest and craziest person that he'd ever dealt with was Little Richard, <laughs> because when Little Richard was staying with him, I, I, I'm assuming this is probably in the sixties. He, 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 at night he got naked and he had high heel shoes on and he was going and knocking on every door <gasps> of every guest and, and wanting to have sex with him. Oh and, God. um, and, and the, the, the guy who owned the hotel, I mean, he was a huge fan also of Little Richard, but he had disturbed everyone in the hotel. And so <laughs> this was in the middle of the night too. So the, the, the hotel owner called, um, hotel just like the neighborhood, who he's buddies with, and he and he mm-hmm. asked him like, "Hey, can you please take little Richard because he can't stay here <laughs> for sure tonight." <laughs> can somebody take little Richard off our hands? <laughs> oh man, what a interesting and beautiful soul. I just love how like even back in the day, like you know when he first met Otis Redding, like Otis Redding was afraid to go to the hotel room, even though little Richard was just inviting him, you know, to go back to his place <laughs> or his his room. Yeah, he was like a giant question mark, you know, an enigma. Yeah. I wanted to get into some of your album art just off the bat. Okay. Um, or some of the art that you've kind of uh, directed for your album covers. Mm-hmm. Um, this podcast is primarily, I mean, it's kind of a overlap of, of uh, music, records, graphic design, art, all that stuff. Course, so yeah. um, music history. But I bet people really want to know, like... What is, what is the story behind? There's a couple of your albums with Barbecue that really stand out. Of course, the paintings from Invisible Girl. Oh yeah, um, that. So Invisible Girl and the last record that we did, um, Bad News Boys. Yeah, those two records were both painted by uh, an amazing guy in Chicago named Johnny Sampson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, he got in touch with me actually to do the first. Uh, Shrine's kind of best of compilation that Vice Records put out, mm-hmm. and he he's incredible. He's a to- he's a painter, and I mean, he, I think he's been working for Mad Magazine and stuff too uh, lately. But um, he, uh, yeah, incredible painter. Like those those album covers are actually giant paintings. I think they're ac- acrylic paintings, and uh, I just fell in love with uh, his art. And I think, uh, ver- I mean, artistically. Uh, I've always kind of preferred the old methods of uh, creating music, creating art, you know, hands on, you know, recording on analog. So, okay, also Mark's face in that painting. I mean, perfection. Uh, As as the octopus? Yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) It's it's funny, too, because we we uh, I'm a big fan of like British comedy. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think the mighty Boosh came later or something but they had also this kind of purple uh like or pink octopus yeah that was Noel fielding's head in there and it does look like that yeah it's it's crazy yeah yeah what about um the bad news boys 
So, okay, this was funny. So at that point, uh, me and Mark were doing this thing where um, my my wife, who's doing all the costumes, mm-hmm. um, we all had this idea of like doing the nipple nipples exposed. Yes. And uh, so we took these uh, black and white photos of the of our costumes, which are which are included in the record now. And the, actually, the photographer who did that is a guy named Miron Zaunier. Okay. Like, uh, and Miron M I R O N, and his last name is Zaunier Z O W N I R. Mm-hmm. He is a legend. Uh, I I met him in Berlin when I when I first moved to Berlin in two thousand five. He was actually a bar just bartending every Tuesday uh, on my favorite bar on my on our street, or it used to be there. And um, I used to just go hang out with him and watch John Ford movies. He would like, he used to always wear a cowboy shirt and he's bald, like mm-hmm. Kojak style. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, we'd just sit there and talk and drink and, and watch cowboy movies. And uh, a couple of weeks after I had been hanging out with him, I was visiting a, a filmmaker friend of mine uh, who was also living on my street. And um, I saw a book, a, fo- fo- a book of photography called The Radical Eye. And I was like, oh my God. Miron Zaunier, that's that's the bartender, and oh. my friend started laughing, and he was like, he's like, dude, that guy's not a bartender, man. Like, and then when I opened up the book, I swear to God, I've never seen a universe so filthy and <laughs> hardcore in my life. I, I I always say that art that doesn't mutate you actually is unsuccessful and it does yeah. not work. His art, like I've seen pictures of his uh, that are I wish I'd never seen. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> it it etches etches so much imagery and then uh so anyways i started working with him a whole bunch and i was uh, we made we have a great relationship where he introduced me to all these underground artists of berlin and like the really cream of the crop of the underground like uh and and i started doing music for his films and he started um uh i i could had carte blanche i i could use any of his pictures for my album covers and wow. do collages with them and actually the idol no more album from the shrines is uh-huh. a collage i did with his pictures the black and white pictures and um yeah it was it's a we have a really wonderful relationship actually anthony bourdain uh was the actually i think he's the only person who wrote or covered anything about the uh, film that we did together i did i did the soundtrack but anthony bourdain on the on the episode he did about berlin uh-huh. which was right before the episode about new york the, his final episode he interviewed uh, miron in it and they put clips of the film and the music oh, and wow. um, i'm going to put a link to I, that on my website yeah, yeah cool I, actually actually i i got i had a i played a role in that film also as mm-hmm. a hus- a hustler pimp crossdresser Whoa! Which is just pretty close to reality, actually. What the, what's the name of the movie? Uh, it's called Back to Nothing. Okay. Thank yeah, you. and awesome. I, it was awesome. I, I got to really go John Carpenter style on the soundtrack, and uh, it's a dystopian nightmare, Berlin, black and white, Whoa, and yeah, um, I see it here. Oh, it looks awesome. Ah, uh, it's beautiful, and I was so. Uh, I feel like when I when I. Uh, moved to Berlin in 2005. Mm-hmm. A funny thing happened that summer. It was a summer that the Black Lips invaded my house for a month, mm-hmm. or and stayed with me for. Uh, some of them stayed over a month actually, but they were all sleeping in my living room, and we were recording the Let It Bloom album mm-hmm. in my living room, and uh, we had gotten into a little bit of an altercation with a group of uh, musicians in Berlin who were called the. Uh, 
Uh, I, I forget the name of the group, but it, basically there was a group of about 40 musicians and they all played different instruments and every weekend they would get, or every Thursday or something, they would get together and they would do the, in a little movie theater, uh, abandoned movie theater, and they would play concerts and do covers of like their favorite 60s music. Mm-hmm. And and they were all big fans of mine and they were always inviting me to come and join them. And finally, when I moved to Berlin, I was like, oh, you know what, maybe I should actually go and do this. And then I had the brilliant idea of uh, bringing the Black Lips and telling them, hey, wouldn't it be great if the Lips, the band from Atlanta, they're 60s rock and roll, they're amazing. Wouldn't it be cool if they played? And they were they were like, sure. So when we showed up at the place, uh, we made the very brutal mistake of drinking like three bottles of vodka or something before going there and when we got there it just turned into this it ended up in total chaos uh and i won't go into complete detail of all the disgusting things that happened but joe bradley i saw him punch the door of the of the bar and crack it in half in the glass and like um anyways we had to basically run out and I had 40 musicians of the bar. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was a big glass door, a thick glass door. And he just, I I can't believe he didn't break his hand actually, but we basically had to escape in a, like running away. And, uh, and then I had 40 people from Berlin who wanted to kill me, you know, and, and, and I had just moved there, you know, and I was like, Oh great. Like I can't go out anymore. So for a whole month, I refused to go out because uh, I had people calling me and telling me that they were, gonna get drug dealers that they knew to come and and do <gasps> bad shit to us and did and, you have your babies at the yeah time? of course i had children and oh, like no. <laughs> um I, I mean i you know uh, a lot of what they were although their threats were pretty much just empty threats they're just trying to scare me yeah, and after yeah. after after a month actually uh i finally was like okay you know what i, I'm, I can't just live in hiding all the time so i went mm-hmm. to my favorite bar which was actually a bar that that me and me and barbecue actually started playing together kind of at, at this bar in Berlin uh, that doesn't exist anymore. But um, yeah, it was, it was my, ter- my territory, you know, I, I felt safe there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, you know, like in all of these stupid, stupid kind of fights, uh, we wound it up, you know, after a month, me and Jared and all these sixties musician dudes, you know, sharing beers and laughing about the whole thing. And, but um, yeah, during that, oh, that during that, that time actually it was just that summer i had a dream and it was the first dream of several dreams i've had about yodorowsky um Mm. and i had discovered him in 2000 and i was just like completely you know my mind i I mutated very hardcore and i was doing a lot of reading about his philosophies and uh, you know lots of books and stuff and uh and I had never done any kind of movie soundtrack work, but in 2005, I I, I got a phone call from a Swiss filmmaker, uh, and he called me and he was like, "Hey, man, I want to have one of your songs for a film." And I was like, "Oh, wow, that that's so cool! Uh, you know, sure, come over and show me the film." So the next day, when he was supposed to visit, I took a little cat nap in the afternoon, and I had my first Yudorowsky dream, and I was in a classroom with him. He was teaching, and there was about I don't know 10 or 20 other students. And the first thing he did, he made everyone stand in one line, and I was the first person in line. And then he he had this bowl of eggs, and he he wrapped, like, grabbed my shirt, and he like like tugged at it, and shoved all these eggs on my chest, and smashed them on my chest. And then as he was smashing them, the doorbell rang, and I woke me up. And 
and I and, it, and then I, I I opened the door and it's a fucking sorry it's a Swiss filmmaker and like and I was just like totally energized by the dream and I was like oh my god I just had a dream about Jodorowsky <laughs> and and the filmmaker was like oh my god I I love Jodorowsky and I was like oh well that's already a good sign that we're gonna you know get along but I I feel like I was like ordained in my dream to work on film and then right away. Uh, the film was handed to me and the most beautiful thing was that it was a film all about Berlin and it was in black and white. And within half an hour or an hour of our conversation, he told me, Hey, just score the whole thing. <gasps> so I, I got my first film score completely blessed by Yodorowsky in a dream. Holy shit. So was this back to nothing or was it a different? No, no, no. Thing? This was, this was uh, in 2005. It was called Schwarze okay. Schaffe, uh, Schwarze Schaffe, oh, which yeah. means black sheep. Ah, okay. Yeah. Holy crap. And so have you done movies since? Actually, any... uh, you know what's funny is that the scene that uh, was – the scene that he showed me that he wanted my uh, Shrine song for was actually filmed in Karl Lagerfeld's personal suite in the most expensive that's... hotel here. And, it's, it, and it involved a couple just having sex all over his this room and like playing chess – and like, <laughs> like playing chess naked. It's just like the scene was ah. so surreal. I was like, Crazy I was like, wow. Shop. Yes, it was. Uh -huh. It was beautiful. And wow. uh, whoa, man, that's an insane story. So yeah. from there, so how did you meet Alejandro Hordorowski? So you had so, a dream. I had that dream first, and I and I started doing film soundtrack work at that after that, and. Mm -hmm. um, then a soundtrack that uh, fell into my lap really beautifully also was uh, for a film called The Invaders, which is about a mm -hmm. it's a documentary. It's supposed to come out this year. Uh, the rapper Nas mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. and his company Mass Appeal are are supposed to release it sometime mm -hmm. this year. And but uh, back back then, um, the director of that film is named uh, Pritchard Smith. And uh, he, I, I worked with him um, on videos. He used to work with Vice uh, way back when, and mm -hmm. we became really tight. And then he, he, he is from Memphis originally, and um, his mother was an elementary school teacher, and she told him about this Black Power group called the Invaders, and and there's no information about them anywhere in any books or any anywhere. And so he went out and actually found all the founding members and um, and gained their. It's pretty pretty amazing for like you know a young white man to like knock on the door of all these people who have been really who have who, their name had been like uh, uh, or their their legacy had never been represented properly and they were actually the ones that were blamed for all yeah. of the riots that were happening at the time when Martin Luther King was doing his peaceful protest in Memphis and. Um, and actually, mm -hmm. um, the police and everyone were blaming them. The ministers even blamed them. And it wasn't their fault. And they finally, this movie clears their name. Uh, and uh, I I got involved because Prit Pritchard uh, showed right. my, the Shrines uh, music to uh, John B. Smith, who was the one of the founding members uh, of, of the Invaders. And he loved the music. And he was like, oh, wow, this music really reminds me of the music that we were listening to back then in the late 60s. And I mean that obviously always been one of my my biggest inspirations of of music, like soul, like revolutionary soul from that time, and and then he personally asked me to be a part of the film. Wow. And that film, I've been 
I've been I've I've never worked on something this long. I I've been, I, I'm I feel kind of lucky actually that I've been able to. I worked like eight years on that soundtrack because it was, you know, we were getting funding, then it was going away, and and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff it was always in limbo, you know. And it's we're still waiting for it to this day. But uh, I guess the beauty of that whole process was that I was me and the director were really able to like hone in on our craft and like you know make the soundtrack as 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 beautiful as possible and and i was getting all these uh footage from you know things that i had never seen before like news footage from like martin luther king's funeral for example you know and Mm -hmm. watching dr king and and a lineup of children you know at his wake you know it was so heavy uh seeing this this sadness and like you know the burning cities and and all this all this beautiful and 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 terrifying imagery of of black power mm-hmm. of the universe of black power and and it's because during while so while i was getting all this imagery mm-hmm. in my mind i had another dream about yodorowsky and uh in that dream i uh i was i was in in some uh, like an office kind of setting mm-hmm. and yodorowsky was in front of me and he had like a five-day beard or whatever and, and he had long hair long white hair and he he looked he was like drunk and and i kept trying to talk to him but every time i would speak to him another kind of like beautiful french woman would come and take him away and i would be like the whole dream i was really frustrated trying to just have one conversation with him and then eventually he came up to me and uh and he looked at me and he said show me a card that is weird and and i was like i was like what and then i i look in my pocket in my in my in my dream and i have a card in my pocket and i pull it out and it was a card a tarot card that i'd, I'd never seen before and he had never seen before and we both looked at it and then we nodded it uh, and he was like yes that is weird Whoa. and then and then i woke up right after that and i knew that i had to make a deck of tarot and yes. then and i knew i had to make the black power deck because i was so like I was drowning in this imagery and I had my body had to process it. And I think that I, I find that art in a lot of ways, uh, it's, it's a, mecha, a coping mechanism for, you know, shocking and, and terrible uh, PTSD kind of things that mm-hmm. are going on in your body. You know, absolutely, it's the absolute way to, to heal. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I realized that I had to create the black power tarot because um, and I'd been studying tarot for, 10 years. I mean, I've been, I've been studying it mm-hmm. since back. I mean, that was back then. This is like, you know, 20 years ago, but I've been studying so much of his teachings and I, and, and understanding every card. And so when I, when I had this idea, I wrote to him, uh, we, we, we've been, we've been writing back and forth to each other for the past, like, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years. And, and he's really a teacher, you know, and, and, and I, and I love him, uh, like a spiritual father, you know, and, and, and he, mm-hmm. He really cares for like when I send him and I I send him poetry stories whatever you know and and whenever he writes me back it's like he really means and he loves you know and helps me to to create uh, projects you know and uh, for example the Born to Die video I did for the shrines that was completely my my first cinema tribute to him and and he wrote me back he was he was like I love it it's strong and creative. <laughs> Tell the spooky elevator story. And it was funny on the cab ride there. I was just telling him that like that he couldn't, he wasn't allowed to say anything. 
and that unless he was spoken to and that this was this was it my my bag and i and i didn't want i don't i didn't want him you know to fudge it up which he of course he wasn't going to anyways but with cole you never know i mean i've seen him piss in his mouth so okay this is cold <laughs> yeah, cold, yeah. <laughs> we would just talk constantly mm-hmm. in the van and it got to the point where if i was in the front seat and he was in the back we would be screaming over everyone la, 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 just mm-hmm. talking and talking so we got banished to the back seat of pinky the <laughs> black lips van so we were in the back seat which was where all the piss bottles and all kind of stuff oh, was gosh. hanging out but me but cole would fall asleep on me in my arms Aww. And I and I would I would hold him like my child, and I would and then we really had like a father son relationship. I'd buy him cheeseburgers, and I had I was the only one with two children, you know, waiting for me in Berlin. So it kind mm-hmm. of really was nice, it, a coping mechanism actually because I was missing my own babies, Aww, you know. That's so so sweet. it gets even sweeter is that when we went to Yudoroski, we both entered the elevator uh, at his in his in his apartment, and this is an old elevator. This is like got those big gears and all this kind of stuff, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so we we're, go- we're in the elevator and we're the elevator is going up and I hear Yudorovsky standing in the stairwell on the third floor. And he's like, he's like, troisième, troisième, like in French, like mm-hmm. the third floor. And when we get to the, up there, the elevator opened up and Yudorovsky's like, Oh my God, that elevator hasn't worked in years. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like, Oh my God. You know, it's like every, everything with Yudorovsky is magic. You know, like I, we magically, we repaired his elevator somehow. You know, I was thinking, what if he says that to everyone? <laughs> Man, that's the thing. He, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he wasn't. He wasn't wearing like a. He wasn't wearing like Oppo uniform or something when when I when, he, when we met him. But so when we entered, you know, um, his 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 lair, you know, and and. Uh, we sat down with him in his office, and uh, I was just so nervous. And then I was just like, you know, like talking to him about these drawings. I brought drawings, these, these funny little, it looks like children's drawings of like the tree of life and whatever things that I had mm-hmm. envisioned or whatever and learned from his teachings and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And I brought a necklace from New Orleans with shrimp on it and like just random <laughs> r- crazy things. And I'm pulling them out of a bag. You know, oh look, I have this and this and this. You know, like, and then Yudoroski looks at me and he just looks at me and he's like, very calmly, he was just like, he's like, King Khan, my my son has told me so much about you, and uh, and I invited you here, and you came here to listen, you know, and I I know that you're a great showman, but you came here not to make a show, you came here to listen, and I I want you know I want now listen, and as soon as he said this to me, I was like, it, it actually felt like shooting heroin or something it was just like ah, <gasps> uh, you know and then my just calmed down all the all the walls dropped you know and i'm like mm-hmm. ready to receive the message you know and it was so beautiful like he first asked me he's like what 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 are your what cards do you use? like show me your cards and i pulled out the rider weight deck which i which i had been mm-hmm. using which is from like the i think some of the 30s or 40s and uh, and then he looked at me and was like, okay, well, these aren't your cards that you're going to use anymore. I'm going to give you your new cards, you know. And Holy and so he went and he got the Tower de Marseille and he gave it to me. Cut it. He cut off a cancer from my back or something, you know, because like I'd been doing tarot with the 78 cards, you know, that are very intense, uh, 78 mm-hmm. cards, you know. And he said the first thing he said, he was like, first of all, for the, for the work that we will do, we don't use um, – we don't use 78 cards. We use only the major arcana, which is the 22 that is cards. That's so interesting. Yeah. He said, actually, what the, the best thing to do with the, the major arcana 
is to actually and, and with and very specific to the the Mar, Mar, deck of Marseille, uh, Tower de Marseille. He said to to memorize what the images look like on the major arcana because that will give you a further understanding, a deep, a much deeper understanding of the arcana. So, because the tarot thing, you know, it's a language mm -hmm. and it's not it's not just it's a mystical language, you know, and it's a language that actually mm -hmm. uh, is about following the path of illumination. And the numbering of the major arcana, starting from the fool, is a zero, and it it's numbered to the on the, on every every step, every number uh, is it, advanced is the fool's uh, journey. journey to understanding yeah. the world. Wow! Yeah, it's the fool's journey, and so and you know it's it's just really incredible because like that's why you have to establish your own relationship with every card. Mm -hmm. And understand their place in, in your, the, in the in journey. Your journey too, right? Like it becomes so personal. Yeah. There's oh, yeah, there's oh, archetypes completely. we all share, but you know, it, then there's your own personal. Can I show you a deck I made in design school? Uh, yeah. So this is the Ace of Pentagrams or Pentacles. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'll just show you a few Ace of Cups. I use like well-known artwork. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Awesome. Um, the Hierophant. Nice. Strength was Grace Jones. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's funny. I put Tina Turner did? for me. And the, Laurie yeah. Anderson was my magician. Ah, oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm actually in touch with Laurie. Laurie is also one of my teachers. Really? And she, uh, yeah, she, I, I've known her for a, a long time. Oh, God. <laughs> that's sorry. scary. Wait, wait. It's not scary that I know Laurie Anderson. It's scary <laughs> that you just showed me John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> Okay, I'll stop. Um, so, Lori, you're confusing me with your I'm images. Sorry. It's a te it's a psychological test, actually. Um, oh my god! So okay, me, that's perfect. So, Lori Anderson, you are you doing a project with her, or is she just? I usually, uh, well, so I I got to I got to meet Lori and and Lou Reed uh, through a a festival in uh, I forget when 2010 maybe in Australia at the Sydney Opera House. They invited me and barbecue because we I, we were actually one of Lou Reed's favorite bands. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, and I had no idea. And uh, so shit. when when they invited us, <laughs> oh man, this is that uh, was crazy. I I when we met them, I, I was telling them about different projects of, of mine, different you know bands and stuff, and they knew all of it. And they were like, "Yeah, we follow all your stuff." And like they thought I was a rich guy. They thought that like he they, they thought King Con was like. You know, I was like kind of royalty in Europe, and I had like a lot of money and all that stuff, and <laughs> which is totally not true. So it was it was really funny because when we met, and then when we met, it was it was so incredible. Like they invited me, we spent like a whole week together almost, and like they invited me to like film. Uh, I I got to see a beautiful documentary that Lurid had just finished about uh, interviewing his uh, one hundred year old aunt, and I think she she was a fashion designer and. Uh, um, Actually, and she had moved to Montreal, in, or there was it was incredible. Anyway, I, I don't oh. know if it's available, but yeah, I was going to um, ask. I, I so yeah, we I, man, the most magic moment was like uh, they invited me to the uh, uh, rehearsal that they were doing, and uh, I sat next to like right next to Lou Reed, and he was singing this song called "Vanishing Act," and um, and Laurie was there playing violin, and they had a piano player, and that was it. That was the room, you know. There, wow. there was maybe one sound guy, I think, you know. And I'm sitting next to Lou, and he sings this song right next to me, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" And uh, after he finished, he looked at me, and I and I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "Lou, that's like one of the most beautiful things uh, 
that's a beautiful, a beautiful song, you know. And and I was like, hey, but you have something on your sweater. And he looked down, and I flicked his nose. What? <laughs> Weirdo. I know, and like it was funny because he made this this face, kind of like which I I imagine like you know like like a, a like a really ancient turtle, you know, and like maybe like someone someone flicks a turtle nose, you know, and like so he made this face. He was like, please don't ever do that again. Oh no! And I was like, oh man! And then I was like, it hit me in a second. I mean, keep in mind, this is in Australia, and I I was doing a lot of drugs and all kind of crazy stuff at that time, so oh, I yeah. hadn't, I wasn't sleeping actually for a week before this, and I was crazy, and um, mm -hmm. and then and then so I, I I moved over for a second, and I went over to Lori, and I was like feeling guilty about it, and I looked at Lori Anderson, and Lori was so like like funny and kind and like loose. Kind of, you know, like, mm -hmm. like yeah. we were, we were, we, we I, I also make jokes all the time, and I mean, she wasn't making jokes all the time, but she's just very, like, animated. Uh, and Lou, on the other hand, is like, you know, like this really ancient, kind of pharaoh esque presence. Uh, anyway, so I told Lou, Lori, I was like, hey, Lori, I think Lou might be mad at me, and she was like, <laughs> oh, oh, for the nose thing, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, yeah, and she's like, man, all the best uncles do that. So I sat right back there next to him, and then at at one point, um, this was this was in a rehearsal room in the Sydney Opera House, and they had they had uh, curated a, a show all like by themselves, and and we were part of the show, and so I sat next to Lou, and all these people started coming in and performing for them or for us, mm -hmm. you know, and well, <laughs> so I was sitting next to him, and I was like, and this group of this amazing uh, uh, throat singers from Tuva. Right, mm. they came in and they started doing this throat singing, and they had these beautiful, like wooden, uh, stringed instruments that had like a horse head, you know, carved on top, like just mm -hmm. incredible, like ancient, like I, I, I could have been from a thousand or two thousand years ago, you know. And mm -hmm. and they sat in front of us, and there were five of them, and this one woman singing also, and and the music of th uh, tuba and throat singing, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's like, yeah, it's very guttural, you know, it, it yeah. goes right into your into your insides. And like I said, I hadn't slept in days. And so I was worried that I was going to fall asleep, you know, because it was so hypnotic. And I was like, oh, man, I flicked his nose. Now I'm going to fall asleep next to him. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> you can't do this, you know, and like I'm kind of like pinching myself even, you know. And and then suddenly I look to the side and Lou Reed is totally taking a nap. Like, I, I was going to you know? say, and, I can and, picture him. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, if Lou's taking a nap, I'm going to take a nap. So I just like take a little cat nap. And literally, I was nodding off with Lou Reed. <laughs> oh man! And it gets even crazier because I I befriended a home a homeless Aboriginal man from uh, who had just been in prison a month ago, and he had dreadlocks, he had facial tattoos, and uh, I was I was I gotta tell you I I, I had to go I had to seek profession uh, uh psychiatric like emergency psychiatric care when I returned from this trip after this whole thing, you know, and me and Mark had broken up at that show. And it, it was really like, uh, I mean, I, for me, I kind of explain it as like, I'd lost Jay Retard and BJ uh, from Atlanta, Bobby Ubangi and uh, another Jay, three Js. Mm -hmm. I lost three Js that year. And I was on tour all the time and I was just self-medicating with tons of drugs. And uh, I- Those were crazy times. I, you, yeah, we were hanging out back then. Yeah, I know. And like- I know. It, I you know yeah. it's I I so happy to, to you know to be able to like relive those moments in my in my in my brain, but um, 
yeah, I, I was, I was, I would just break out and start crying just talking to someone for no reason. Apparently, I, I would have a normal conversation mm -hmm. and then just suddenly, oh my god, you know. So all this, I had all this grief bottled up, and before I even discovered Burroughs and Lou Reed and you know that whole world, I actually remember see, I remember it so clearly. I watched Home of the Brave on like a Saturday afternoon at one or two o'clock after cartoons. It was being played on a music. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, station on TV, and I was ten years old, and I saw this Home of the Brave, and uh, and Laurie Anderson is like so hypnotic, and like she's talking about binary, you know, numbers like zero, one, zero, you know. Yes, yes. And yes. I was watching this, I and I that. I thought it must have been like Sesame Street. I was like, oh, this is for children, and so I was I watched the whole uh -huh. thing, and it was I remember my my mind just like opening up, you know, and and uh, at that age, so later. Um, you know, I because of uh, Hal, their their producer and uh, mm. and and also a close friend that I met at the, on that trip. Hal, Hal and me started. We we did tons of stuff together after that. You know, we we did great studio work and 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 he asked me to co-produce a whole album of uh, William S. Burroughs. Uh, the and, and it's the unspeakable parts of Naked Lunch. It's it's called Let Me Hear You, and. Yeah, I, actually, that that was the album that that made me start my label, and it, it was it was okay. also very kind of magical. I, I I had recorded the whole album. The first song that I I did on that record, um, I got the I got an, a band from Australia called the Frowning Clouds, mm -hmm. one of my favorite Australian bands. Mm -hmm. uh, I I put them Great I put them on the soundtrack, and uh, when I sent it back to Hal, he cried. He got the cry and like. It's yeah, beautiful. It's, it's, it's and beautiful. and also singing on that track is uh, a buddy of mine from um, New York. Well, he's from Alabama originally. He's a piano player. His name is M. Lamar, mm -hmm. and he invented the Negro Negro Gothic movement. And um, he's a black a black man born in from born from Alabama. He's been living and doing music in New York for a long time. He does piano and like I just want. I imagine I was like I wanna I wanna make a room an imaginary room. Where like William S. Burroughs would like look around and see like these these like young young kids young boys from Australia and this incredible like you know I I I don't even know how how I, I could describe it. it's like M. Lamar is not only just a human like he's he's like a giant Gothic church of a human you know and he wears Whoa. like you know black makeup and and he dresses kind of black metal style also with spikes and like he's and he does this like oh it's like operatic like. Uh, so, uh, I wanted him in the room, you know, and I wanted the boys, and I, I just, I just wanted to make a a place where I, I, I could really imagine William Burroughs, like, you know, uh, putting it in his spank bank for like the rest of his life. Anyway, so I, 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 I approached all the songs in that same manner, and like, uh, and mm -hmm. the, the, the funny thing too, also in that record, Burroughs really uh, does a lot of like comedic voices. Which you don't really hear in, in uh, other mm -hmm. uh, recitations of his, right. yeah. Because yeah. in this one, he's like uh -huh. he could tell. He, I mean, he's talking about the funniest stuff, you know, like the the whole sequence about the Steely Dan and the vibrators and like the, you know, it's and he's making these. He oh God, it's great! You know, he's doing this yeah. stuff, and uh, yeah, I was really honored uh, that that Hal invited me. That and and after I finished it, he was so happy with it. I asked him. I was like, "Who's gonna put this out?" And then the first thing was, he's like, "You should put it out." And I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't have a label." And he was like, "Just start one." And I was like, "Oh, okay." That's the yeah. And, 
That's the best origin story. I know it was amazing. And <laughs> and uh, the uh, another thing was that I got, the artwork that I got done for the label. Right. Let's talk about the artwork. I started working with this guy named Michael Eaton, uh, who's Irish. He's mm-hmm. living in Belfast. And um, funny mm-hmm. little anecdote is that uh, he actually contacted me uh, at the exact moment when I was going to start the tarot, Black Power Tarot. And the and mm-hmm. Yudorowsky taught me this thing that he calls the dance of reality. And uh, I have actually been following the dance of reality since I was a kid. You know, and basically the dance of reality is bas- is that if you do things with the with the purest of intentions, you know, just to to make humanity better, to uh, understand the pain of others, and and make it your own, and give and give healing. So if you follow this path, mm-hmm. then reality literally dances for you. You know, and so like in the same fashion, you know, as soon as I Yodorovsky about about Black Arrow Tarot deck, boom, I get a mysterious email from Ireland. From this guy who sends me his art, he actually does art for the Game of Thrones. He does paintings of dragons and and books in Game of Thrones, and he sends mm-hmm. me his art, and he's like, "Hey, I'd love to work with you." And I'm like, "Oh my god, that's the, that's my man." Wow. And and funny enough, five the six years before uh before he he wrote to me, I had actually played a show in Belfast, and uh it, the concert was uh, funny because oh, Belfast uh, okay. <laughs> the Bel- yeah the Belfast audience is very. Very strange. They were already practicing social distancing. Like everyone was literally standing one meter away from each other. There was like notified group. It was like everyone sp- like spread out in a strange way. And so with the shrines and I love, you know, doing like doing pranks sometimes. So what I did was I ran into the audience and I pulled the microphone cable all around the audience. And then when I went back up on stage, I yanked it super hard and everyone started falling over. Right. And because the, they didn't they didn't have time to like move the cable. So. You lassoed them. Yeah. I lassoed them. I hogtied yeah. them, and and then, and then um, mysteriously, I at one point I got off stage during a song, and I go right up to Michael Eaton, who I had never met, mm-hmm. and I just hug him, and then I go back on stage, and he was the only guy I hugged that that night, uh-huh. and that guy, six years later, is the one who makes the tarot for me. Okay, so did he say you know? in his email like, "Hey, I was the guy you hugged that night"? No, no, no. He told me this just recently. What? I didn't. He, yeah, I didn't. I, he never mentioned that whenever, whenever we had the interactions. Holy shit! Okay, so he's Game of Thrones illustrator. He also did the William S. Burroughs album cover, your tarot deck. Right. Any other album covers for oh, you? Oh yeah, yeah. He he did the Black Lips, uh, the mm-hmm. Black Lips uh, LP uh, or EP that I did. Mm-hmm. The way me and Michael work is that I, I call him, I fill him up with the dream, I tell him exactly what I want, and then Michael, you know, comes through, and then. For example, with the the Black Power Tarot, um, he would just send me drawings, and I would send them to Yodorowsky so to get approved. And um, yeah, the mm-hmm. the thing I love about Michael too is that uh, which I, which is something that I've learned also, which is like I call it the path of least resistance. And um, yeah, I you know the older you get and the more you hone in on a craft, you know, the less friction you want when you work with people. Actually, you don't want any friction, you know, and just like you know in a lot of things in life <laughs> but uh uh so yeah with michael you know it was always like there was no we, there was never arguments there was never anything it was always perfect and um so when when i started yeah the the first version of the william s burroughs art i wanted to go really hardcore because the the actual text is from naked lunch is so hardcore i mean you know 
it's just sexual there's there's a there's a crazy threesome in that in in, in naked lunch you know where the mm-hmm. woman finally eats one of the men or both men or something and and so I figured it'd be cool to have the two minions of uh, of Villamis Burroughs. I made them boys, actually, and young boys, young Moroccan boys. And I had one of them had an erection and the other one didn't. So I, I just thought it would fit the, the whole theme, you know, I mean, and Burroughs, you know, like when I sent it to the to Hal, Hal loved it. But <laughs> the musicians... The musician, actually, and James Grauerholtz from the state, uh, Williams Burroughs Estate, he's like he loved it. The uh, people who complained were actually the 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 older musicians that had had worked on the uh, on some of the music like twenty years ago. And Did they called uh, the Interpol on you. No, no, but they one of them was, and and he's a very highly respected musician, you know, from the John Zorn music world thing, right. and like he just was like, the, like this is so offensive. I can't, yeah, I, you know, I I I. I have to say no to this album art. And I was just kind of, I'm happy that I can push the envelope in this yeah. circuit of people, like, and, and actually offend this <laughs> level of musician, you know, but, um, I offend the best. So I, I know. I mean, it, that's the, that's the part of it. I, lo- I love, I love that the first record cover is just like so hard. I, I, I want to secretly like make a, the, the make a version, you know, down the future with the original art. But, um, Anyways, I, I decided to change the, the the Moroccan boys. I turned them into leopard boys, mm. and uh, and I hid the erection with a loincloth. Let let me hang you. Let me hang you on the cannibalism label page. Yeah. Um, and also, where to find your black tarot Instagram so everyone can see the cards? Oh yeah, you can on Instagram. It's it's at uh, cannibalism, and mm-hmm. there's also at. Uh, Black Power, the at the Black Power Tarot in Black one word. Yeah, and you can buy the cards on. Uh, you can buy everything of mine on 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 my Bandcamp. Nice. Okay. Which is called which is called cannibalism, like 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 the the act of eating oneself or others, <laughs> but in an <laughs> Indian way. Right for the con. Yeah. I thought yeah. about three, two, one contact. Ah, <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> contact. Is the reason? Ooh, I forgot about yeah. that song. Contact is the ah! That sounds like Sun Ra. Oh my God, you became Sun Ra, or you became June Tyson. Wow! Oh my God, all of my uh, <laughs> my brain just turned on like. <laughs> I love that song so much. I love her so much. Oh my gosh, she's incredible. Actually, you know what? The reason I married my wife, or and fell so deeply in love with her when I met her uh, when I was twenty-two, I, I'd heard of Sun Ra before that, like uh, from my roommate that I lived in when I was in about eighteen or nineteen. Uh, he gave me a videotape of uh, Space of the Place and A Joyful Noise, the documentary, and then mm-hmm. a French documentary. So it was like a kind of like a six-hour tape or something, you know, of of all solid Sun Ra. And when I brought it to uh, to my wife's place uh, mm-hmm. and I showed it to her, she was the only woman I ever met that could handle like six hours of Sun Ra like every day. Oh. You know, it was not even an issue. It was just like, oh yeah, let's watch it again. You know, and I was ah. like, oh my God, maybe I should spend eternity with this woman. I want to meet and... her. I've never met her. I've only heard great things. And 
Yeah, she she does all the costumes and and uh, did she's she like, do those cute BDSM costumes for you and Mark? Yes, for those yes. photos. Oh my god, those are so yeah. rad. <laughs> the masks. Yeah, she she also made my assless my assless uh, my assless uniform for the shrines. I don't know if you've seen that. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's, I might have. It's it's all over the place. Yeah, it's. I might have looked away quickly. It's, it's awesome. She's we've all, you know <laughs> done all of the. Uh, she did all the costume you know stuff designs. So I keep it. I like to keep. Actually, I like I like to keep everything I do in the family. You know, we even regarding music production or mm-hmm. al- album work or, I just I I only work with people who are part of my family. So yeah. okay spiritually wise and we'll get into Sabalu in a minute but I just wanted to go back to Hal Wilner because yep. he was really influential on yeah. me and I can't believe you got to work with him but I I have obsessed over this record for That's so amazing. many years yes. he Monk. produced it's called That's the Way I Feel Now the Thelonious Monk tribute he also did a Mingus one with like Henry Rollins yes. on it but this one was really important to me because it this is the album design that made me want to be a designer and that made me realize that there's a grid underneath and that typography is design yes. and the way that look yeah, at how on the inside when you open the gatefold it's or actually it, on the back so there's, 80s. This, there's this column <laughs> yeah it's very 80s but it's, oh, it's, and it's it's kind of yeah. like crazy to look at but while you're yeah. listening to music you want a ton of stuff to stare at right yes so, exactly Totally. Also, at the end of this column, right. there's the photography credits. And a lot wow. of people don't give yeah. photo credits, so I thought that was so cool. Right. And yes, it's very 80s. However, it made me realize the grid. That's 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 so that's amazing. Yes. He the last thing that Hal had produced and it just it's going to come out soon uh, is a tribute to T-Rex. And Oh, um, really? Who's on it? Do you know? Oh who? man, this is hilarious, okay? I'm not going to tell you the names on it because I don't. I feel like it's going to be like name dropping or whatever. But no, it's like it's like the kind of name drop that I I would never even want to do. Okay. Right. Like I like no. I'm serious. It's like it's like every, every like, okay. Just to name just to name drop a few. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like you too oh, or Elton John. Oh God. You know. It's like okay. it's like people that I would have I would never ever in my life ever want to or or or. <laughs> Or imagine that I would be on a compilation with these people, you know. But um, I, so I'm on this thing, and uh, so when I was recording it with him, I, I was in New York at the time, and he had, he had set up a beautiful studio. And some people, um, I, I was so honored to play. I mean, Mark Rebo was the guitar player, you know, and I had met him a bunch of times with uh, mm-hmm. at, at with Lou and Laurie. And I, Mark Rebo, he's like he plays all the, on all like the, the Tom Waits stuff, and you know, and so. Um, I they wanted me to cover um, "I Love to Boogie," which is actually oh, one of my favorite yes. my favorite songs from so T Rex. And the cool thing was, so I I when I when he told me I, w- I want to do this, I I in my mind I'm like, oh my god, I'm totally doing this little Richard style. So I I told Hal, I'm like I'm like the only way I want to do the song, I want like a little Richard piano, and uh, I want the uh, I want it to be 180 BPM. I want it to be like like old school, you know, Star Club, Little Richard, like you know, yeah. you know, like this like ape shit speed, you know. And I was telling the drummer like faster, faster, you know, like like I like I wanted him to be animal, basically. I, I yeah. wanted you know like so we're recording, and then and then another thing I had an idea to do was that one of my favorite uh, very obscure rock and roll songs is called um, Bo Dudley is a shotgun rider. 
different than Bo Diddley. It's like Bo Dudley. Anyways, this song is one of my favorite rock and roll songs because it has the most incredible slide guitar on it. And it's just like, it's, it's, I guess you could kind of call it Muppet Show style because it's just like, like, it's just like, it's insane. So when I went to the studio, I showed Mark Reba. I'm like, I'm like, hey man, can you play slide guitar and make it like this? And like, uh, uh-huh. and he loved it. And like, so that's another thing about how too, like when I talk about the path of least resistance, you know, that like, mm-hmm. it, it, it's incredible. You know, there's never any kind of friction or argument. It's just like, oh, I have a great idea. Let's try it like this, you know? And then, and then when me and Hal start really getting into it and tripping, we're like, oh man, let's do an ending, like a Sun Ra ending. So it's a Little Richard tribute, a, a slide guitar, Bo Dudley tribute, and also obviously to t-rex and and then at the end space of the place you know the person that was uh playing before me was david johansson right so he was in the studio and he Whoa. had just finished his, his session right so i i asked him i'm like i'm like hey dave, dave if you're gonna stick around i was wondering like could you say some funny words like at the end of my song just like kind of like talk <gasps> talking you know like 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 when i say that i'm in a little bit you know but like in that style you know like yeah, i'm like yeah, i'm like yeah, do, yeah. do whatever yeah. you want so like so in the song, while there's this crazy like Sun Ra part, this David Johansson and he goes, "Hey man, you should take this to the Boom Boom Room, <laughs> right?" <laughs> and and Boom Boom Room apparently was a strip club in New York like way back when, you know. And yeah. and so then the the next person after me, right, was Charlotte Gainsbourg, <gasps> right. So then. Uh, when she shows up, and it's funny because when she shows up, it's like everyone is just like it's completely different than like when I was in the studio, and we're all laughing, and I'm like mm-hmm. tarot, like flying cards everywhere, and like just like mayhem. And then when Charlotte shows up, it's just like <gasps> everyone like wow. breaks, you know, and pauses, and like you know breathes deeply, and just like very calm. Intense. And then I asked her, and I was like, "Hey, you." Could you say something in the beginning of my song? If David David Johansson says something at the end, it would be so cool. So then I got her to go in French, pour toi, pour toi, pour toi, like for you, for you, for you. Um, I think it was a uh, Jacques Dutronc. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Anyways, she 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 did it, and then sadly Hal told me that uh, she was not no longer affiliated with the album, and so they couldn't oh. use it. They couldn't use her voice, but they but they replaced her with another Charlotte, which was actually uh, the girlfriend of Sean of uh, oh. Sean Lennon. So so the the French part is still in the song, mm-hmm. but it's not it's it's the Charlotte number two. <laughs> so okay, that's amazing. So when does that come out? Who are both Who are both far superior to Good Charlotte? <laughs> let the record show. <laughs> yeah, please oh, let's let, let's <laughs> let's make that official right so, now. Okay, so that comes out this year sometime or yeah they actually already released uh, the single uh, which nick cave does oh, he cool. does cosmic dancer <gasps> what i yeah. haven't heard of this oh man it it's it's the the lineup is really incredible wow. like there's like people every, it's like almost like every it's like every person in rock and roll or like not, not sorry not rock and roll every person in like mainstream music is on this do, thing you know like, who does ride the white swan does anybody do it I, I don't actually I haven't heard okay. the I know I have heard though they Hal played it for me once but I don't have a physical copy yet I'm okay. still waiting. Ooh, what a treat to look forward to! Um, I wanted to yeah. ask um, to get back to our questions that I ask every guest. Um, just while we have yeah. the connection still going, you're getting a little choppy, so I'm getting a little nervous. Oh, I am. Okay, wait, wait. A I'm gonna bit. I'm gonna sit down. Yeah. <clears throat> so okay. I wanted to ask 
What was the very first album cover you remember, the first album art that caught your attention? Oh, uh, well, I remember my father had a, uh, like a little, I don't know, 50 records, something like that when I was growing up, uh, mostly Indian classical music. But uh, the record that really captured my attention, I remember, was there's a Santana, so, a self-titled Santana record. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget the guy's name who did it, but... Lee Conklin. There you go, Lee Conklin, and like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a charcoal, like a pencil kind of charcoal drawing of a lion's face with many like psychedelic faces inside of it and a, and a body inside yeah. of it. It's kind of actually it kind of reminds me of M.C. Escher or something like that. But um, I remember as a kid, I was just like amazed at seeing a lion's face with a human inside of it, and and you keep seeing more faces, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really beautiful, and I remember that really uh, inspired me. And also, uh, the the Tijuana Brass Whipped Cream uh, album cover with the woman (laughs) covered in whipped cream. That I mean, as a as a child, that's just like a dream, right? That's probably my first one too, or the uh, Sergeant Pepper because my mom had that. Yeah, I didn't have Sergeant Pepper, but I I remember I had the Abbey Road, but the cover did not really do much for me. Why did the Beatles cross the road? Because Paul McCartney was dead. So what was your, like, an influential record on your journey? You said earlier Sun Ra. Oh, yeah. What I loved about Sun Ra, too, was about how he would do his own, like, multi, like, there was, like, so many different covers for albums. You know, he would Mm -hmm. do, like, get musicians to do it and, like, just, you know, get all sorts of artists. And the art from Bitches Brew, for example, too, I've always loved that. It's like uh, Afro Future Dali or something. That's a a big one, too, the Mm -hmm. Axe is Bold as Love. Yeah. record cover that with the indian gods and stuff and yeah yep and then um so musically though we were talking about alice coltrane um oh, yeah she's a very big influence mm-hmm. i feel like um at one point in my I've, I've always been attracted by jazz music and i was i was really listening to a lot of jazz music uh when i was about 16 i remember discovering ornette coleman uh, there's a live show that he does in Copenhagen in like the early '60s, mm-hmm. and um, I was just amazed at like how much humor also and how much like 
it's kind of like when carbon turns into a diamond. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like this, like this pressure. There's so much pressure, like so much inequality, so much racism, mm -hmm. all this stuff at that time that they were these musicians were going through. You know, and all this pressure around them turned them from like into like shining, clear diamonds. <laughs> you know, and like, and uh, you know, you stare into a diamond and it's an abyss. You know, it's it's not. It's not just one thing. It's um, the infinity of everything, mm -hmm. you know. And so I always feel that in some strange way, I would say that, that free jazz, uh, some of it, you know, I, I feel is like the absolute uh, perfection of music, mm -hmm. you know, because it's you can never play the same again. Like in and it's so much improvisation, you know, and and also uh, if you when you get really into free jazz, you understand that like there was a heavy so much philosophy behind it, you know, like the art ensemble of Chicago, so much art, you know, the painting, you know, facial like costumes and mm -hmm. but also like the spirituality of like Buddhism, of, of, of like Hinduism, you know, all me meshed into this this revolutionary sound. I saw Pharaoh Sanders recently for the first time too, and uh, also, oh my God, he was just incredible! Like the way he he looked like a Japanese wow. painting, you know, like his his beard looked like <laughs> clouds, you know, coming off of his face, like you know, and his and his beautiful face, like just like he looked like he was made wow. out of like the oldest wood ever, you know, like it was like oh my God. I've I've been rolling with the Sun Ra Orchestra uh, a bunch since the, for 15 years. Okay, so mm -hmm. it first started in 2005. This is ridiculous. I I was it was my first tour with the Shrines in Canada. Was that when Ron Streeter stayed at my house? No, that was later. You actually he stayed with you for quite a long time for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listeners, this is Ron Streeter, the percussionist for who Tina Turner. He played, he, he played with lots of people. Tina, he played with. Uh, with uh, Curtis Mayfield, Al Jarreau, Stevie Wonder. Amazing. Yeah, he was. He, wow. He was like, Amazing percussionist. Yeah. And I brought him to like the Cha Cha Lounge and he was holding court. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> was listening to his stories. It was amazing. Anyway, so cute. He's incredible. The ice cream man. Totally. Ice cream and, and, uh, and eggs. He'll eat. He'll eat yeah, so I had to make him eggs. scrambled Scramble eggs. eggs. We'd That's go it. out to eat and yeah. then. We'd go back and I'd I want to do. I want to. I want to make a song about Ron's uh, dietary uh, choices. <laughs> restrictions. Yeah, it's not restrictions. It's like no. it's choices. It's choices. Check this out. I'm I'm in Montreal on a day off uh, in 2005, mm -hmm. and I'm staying at my sister's house downtown. And I go outside for a moment, and I run into the girl that I lost my virginity to. I see this girl. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> how you doing? And I haven't seen her since since like for years, right? I'm like, what are you doing now? You want to hang out? And she was like, uh, actually, I kind of have a date with uh, a guy from the Sun Ra Orchestra. Mm. And, like, my eyes, like, widened. And I was like, and I was just, you know, I was telling everyone in the world that, like, oh, my God, my life has changed with Sun Ra and I want to do the shrines. And, like, you know, it was the instigator to all my, that, 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 that transformation at that point in my life. So when she tells me this, I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to come with you wherever you're going now. And then she's just like <gasps> laughing and she's like, okay. Did you go on her date? <laughs> well, the thing was, it wasn't, it, she thought it was a date, but it actually, it was with two members of the orchestra, right? Uh, Cecil and, and Dave Davies. So I met them uh -huh. first. We just had a great night and turns out the orchestra told me, oh, hey, we're playing in Toronto for the next three nights uh, at this uh, kind of world music cafe. Right, and I was like, "Oh my God, I'm playing at another place in Toronto for three nights too," and so it was like, "Oh great!" 
so at that point, you know, um, when we when we get to Toronto, I uh, we, we our, our shows were like the last. It was a big festival, and our shows were like the really late, like a, after midnight, you know. And we played the same club uh, every night, and so it was like a speakeasy. It was incredible, mm -hmm. and uh, it it was actually the bar. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. The Silver Dollar, where everyone went to buy drugs. Okay. <laughs> that was the druggy bar, you know. And like, so basically, everyone in the nightlife would just pack that place at night. Everyone would be so high, mm -hmm. right? And and we were playing every night. We're the house band, mm -hmm. you know, for three nights. And so I invited Cecil and Dave Davies to. Like, I was like, hey, if you guys want, because their gigs were at eight uh, in the in the, in the mm -hmm. evening, like a dinner theater show. I was like, hey, why don't come over to my gig and, and bring your horns and we'll, we'll have a jamboree. <laughs> and they were like, that sounds great. So so I, they came and joined me on my on stage with me. And, and it was two members of the, of the Sun Orchestra. That was 2005. So at that point, I, I had friends of, in Toronto that I I assigned like places to stay for all the shrines, like 10 people. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know where I was going to stay. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was I just asked the orchestra. I'm like. I'm like, hey, where are you guys staying? And they're like, oh, well, we got like these condominiums and like we got three of them, you know. Mm -hmm. And and I was like, would you mind if I crashed on your couch? And they were like, no, that'd be great. Sure, come over. So I'm staying with them in the in the in the orchestra place, right? And it was funny because I was partying like until five in the four and four in the morning mm -hmm. or something, you know. And then I would go to the orchestra house and I'd knock on the door at four in the morning and like you know an elderly member of the orchestra would come and be like, who is it? And I'm like, I'm like, it's Khan. <laughs> And they're like, oh, King Khan, yeah, come on in, come on in, you know. So I'd be sleeping on the couch. Uh, the second the second night that I was sleeping there, uh, I get up in the morning to go to the bathroom at, like, early in the morning. And I walk towards the bathroom, and there's a door, one of the rooms, the door is closed, and there is yellow smoke billowing out of the bottom of this door. Like, it, like it's Whoa. something very big. It's, a fire is happening inside this. But, and I'm like, oh, my God. So I, I open the door, mm -hmm. and then it's room is full of smoke right of yellow smoke uh -huh. and sitting on the bed so calmly and peacefully almost like in alice in wonderland right there's yaya uh -huh. uh, the saxophone player uh yaya, yaya abdul majid mm -hmm. and he's sitting there on the, on the on the thing and he had been coming to all our shows too and and uh he's sitting there and he's right next to him uh on the bedside table are two empty cans of sardines <laughs> right and Inside one of the top can, there is a giant rock of mirror, right, oh. and a and a pile of frankincense. Nice. And he's burning, <laughs> but it's full of smoke. And I'm like, oh my god! And then and then he, I I walk in, right, and then he looks at me and he goes, "Con, sit down. I want to tell you something." And I'm like, oh my god! So I sit down uh, in front of him, and, and then and he is playing a clay harp. Right, it's a Chinese harp, and he's uh -huh. sitting there. He's pl he's playing this clay harp, this very psychedelic looking harp, and and he's listening to uh, Tuvan throat singing, like you know, and 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 he's jamming to Tuvan throat singing on a harp, and I'm like, and then he starts talking to me, and like it was like this beautiful like stream of consciousness, like like uh, fever dream or something, you know, like, mm -hmm. and he's 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 telling me about like discipline and about what he learned from Sun Ra and like, and how, you know, he became a Muslim and like, and, and how, mm -hmm. you know, they traveled to, all over the world and they, they went to, to Tuva and lived there with these, these throat singers, you know, in the mountains mm -hmm. and the food they ate and, and Nigeria and, and, and just like, about, about life, you know, and he was explaining mm -hmm. all this stuff to me and I was just like absorbing wow. this thing and I was like, I was like, oh my God. 
So like, and the amazing thing was really talking about Sunron discipline, you know, and like explaining about like, you have to train to be part of the, the the the, the ritual, but also like under uh, you have to open your mind so much more to be a part of it, you know, and like, so mm-hmm. he was really, like, just shattering, you know, boundaries and shit in my brain, and I'm listening, you know. So, uh, wow. Yeah, you know what? And uh, Hotep, the guitar player from the orchestra, you know, I, I mean, we and also after this, we we played many shows together all over festivals, and I actually uh, they invited home for Marshall, which to me and I performed with them, you know, uh, twice, one, once once in Berlin and once yeah. in, in uh, Holland, and like I got the uh, Danny Danny Ray who uh, sadly just passed away. Danny Ray gave me his costume. He gave me his his personal costume, and then like. You know, or uniform. I shouldn't say costume. It's really a uniform. And um, I remember one mm-hmm. of the most magic things was like, like you know, when I when like just Marshall talking to me about you know the show and like inviting me and like he's like he's like you just gotta go up on stage and do exactly what you gotta do. You just gotta know what you gotta do. And I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> I know it. I do it. You know, like, and um, I remember Danny, Danny Ray. He would he would he loved my tarot cards. I I used to every time I would meet them somewhere. Danny, the first thing he would do would be like, "Are you ready to read my cards? Oh, all right, wow. all right, let's go." And then just grab me right away on the street wherever we were. Like just go sit down on the curb. Boom, throw your cards out. Mm-hmm. You know. And he would always ask me about about. He's like, "When am I going back to Africa? When am I going back to Senegal?" I was talking to him uh, when he was in the hospital just recently before he passed. And uh, one one character that we would always talk about was this guy named Black Herman, and Black Herman actually I uh, I he's in he's in the tarot cards he's the magician in in my Black Power Tarot, and uh, Black Black Herman the reason that that uh, Sun Ra's real name Herman it was because of Black Black Herman his, it was his mother's favorite magician and also Sun Ra's favorite magician from back in the day. And uh, Black Herman used to uh, do a, a magic show and travel to all the, uh, like kind of like a road, a medicine show, you know. And he would go to all the plantations and and do this show. And there's like so many rumors and and wild stories about Black Herman that exist. Like that, like he went to China and he had an affair with the emperor's wife and had to take take a voodoo drug to be a zombie and dead and, and his body shipped back to America to escape and just like <laughs> wild, wild stories. And like, so that's why I named him the magician in the, in the deck, because in a way uh, he was the a generation or two before Sun Ra. So I, I feel like Sun Ra being called Herman. So it's like, I feel like the magic of, of black Herman, you know, went and, and, and became immortal and traveled through Sun Ra and um, oh. I've I read recently that that, that uh, Black Herman was uh, the guy who invented fifty two pickup. What? <laughs> yeah. So he's a prankster. The game fit. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and like, it's amazing. Like, and I actually the conversation I had with Danny, uh, the last conversation I had from before he passed, I was calling him. He's in the hospital, and I was like, Danny, I, like I found out fucking fifty two pickup is made by Black Herman. He was like, Oh, that's great. Like. I'm so happy that Hal Wilner had such a great influence on you too, and like it's, uh, you know, he he was so special. And I actually uh, I've I've recorded a jazz album with uh-huh. um, Noel Scott Whoa. and the orchestra. Actually, they they sent me their tracks last night. Whoa! And I was so anxious, and I knew they were recording it, and they sent me like like video clips of them in the in the in the it's in the Sun Ra house with the Sun Ra microphones, you Whoa. know, and like and um, 
they're they're in, in Philadelphia, and so I was just seeing video clips, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And it was a song that I had sent to them uh, like a few weeks ago, and they love it, and they were they were practicing for a couple of weeks before, and it was like, and Marshall is, and both of them, their performance is just to die for, you know, mm-hmm. like they sent me about seven tracks of of uh, and Marshall plays his EVI, which is mm-hmm. the like the uh, the wind synthesizer. I did a uh, requiem. A requiem for Hal, and uh, nice. yeah, it it really it really tore me up that he I, mean, I can't believe he just disappeared out of the face of the earth just mm-hmm. like that with and and COVID you know and and um, yeah Hal was just such a incredible entity you know and like and he was one of these people also who like who can just put souls together uh-huh. that you would never imagine you wow. know and and I feel like I I've also been following that same like path you know um i guess i would just it's illumination you know he, he was an illuminated human being For your new single, you have who's playing on that? Um, it's called "I'm Rich." Yes, rich bitch. Rich bitch. I'm rich um, bitch. Produced by our friend. Oh, uh, Lou Galooch. Lou Galooch. Uh, he wrote. He wrote the uh, the lyrics, and Jeff Clark from the Demons Clause wrote it, and uh, mm-hmm. and I helped arrange it. And we got John Convertino from Calexico, the amazing drummer. He's actually playing on the whole jazz album as well. I got oh, him and, awesome. and Martin Venk from Calexico, the trumpet player, who actually I knew 20 years ago, and this is the first time we actually finally got to make music together. And then you said that they know Joe Plummer from Ruinous? Yeah, I, th- I think they're buddies, yeah. Okay, uh, awesome. I mean, I, John is just an incredible drummer, and he does he plays marimbas also, just like completely beautiful. Also working with them, too, like so easy just send them tracks. They'll send them to me a couple of days back. Completely perfect, perfectly mm-hmm. recorded. Yeah, I, I never thought I could ever make a jazz album. And then this this whole the quarantine really, I guess, you know what? This whole quarantine thing, I think it's really forcing mm-hmm. everyone to really look inside of themselves, you know, and, and find satisfaction from within side rather than always relying on outdoor yeah. or outside influence, you know? And so, I mean, I, I can imagine... For the people who who are comfortable and like able to sustain, of course, on the other side, there's just people who are, you know, suffering and 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 dying. I remember like watching Blade Runner, you know, or like or like these kind of dystopian nightmare places, you know, where everyone's like, you know, in masks or gas, you know, gas masks and all this kind of stuff. I never thought that we would get to that level. It is um, so dystopian. It's so weird. It really is. It's the first time in my life I had to put the mask on to go to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> that a brown man can wear a yeah. mask to the bank and it's okay. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I know. I wonder about that. Like security cams can't. You know, get, like, there's been all, people... all sorts of all sorts of racism in Canada against uh, like hijabs and stuff. And mm-hmm. now everyone has to wear one. So there, yeah, I'm glad there you that go. We... So so you're okay. So I want to talk a little bit about your daughter because um, we want oh, yeah, to talk yeah. about her contribution for the Sadie's record, and she did all the Louder Than Death uh, albums right. also. Yeah, she does these. The Louder. There's two albums that uh, we put on in the mm-hmm. red. 
Uh, Louder Than Death was a, par- a project that I started with uh, uh-huh. Sean Spitz. And um, it's like super punk. And uh, I I wanted both albums to have uh, kind of a political message about police. Mm-hmm. And so Sab- Sabalu was 16 and she came back from some from school. And I looked at her and I was like, hey, Sabalu, I need you to draw me a police officer who has shot his penis off. <laughs> And she's like, oh, uh, okay, sure. And so she sat down and did it in half an hour, and it's incredible. It looks it looks like um, like the Black Flag uh, artist. Ra- um, uh, Raymond Pettibon, yeah. Raymond, Raymond Pettibon, yeah. Yeah, actually, a lot of people thought that it was Raymond Pettibon. I think it's great. Actually, I really, I'm really, I really love the way that you're doing this about album artwork mm-hmm. because I feel that's a very – it's never acknowledged properly, yeah. and it's so important. It's like the most important part of the music is like the – the packaging that it comes I know, in you know, and it's, it's like, what we think of you know, the first thing that comes to our yeah. mind is that image Com- completely i've yeah. never i've never done an, an, an interview about album artwork Yay. it's great and uh and it's funny because it's like i you know we, we we used to have so much fun back in the day you know and like completely the opposite of this conversation you know it was just like you know tearing tearing down walls and going nuts and crazy places going nuts and, yeah i know remember like, it was like fueled mayhem i've never had a chance to talk to you like where you're not on tour yeah you know where everything is yeah. just happening all around and what are we doing where are we going who what yeah yes I, yeah <laughs> and it, so we, we, we've like, never been able yeah. to just sit down and not do shots <laughs> i know <laughs> yeah i know well i miss everybody yeah. i'm sad that no one can tour i love seeing my friends from all over the world you know that I look forward to that every summer, but I, 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 I honestly, I'm trying to. I see it in a. I'm trying to see it in some kind of positive light. That I think that there's a lot of yeah. You're, we're forced to really look deep into ourselves, and 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 that could have never yeah. happened. And 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 Mother Nature, like you know, forced us to to look at like the destruct the rate of destruction. You know, and like I, mm-hmm. I I've always said this about humanity that like. Humanity cannot be from this planet. I, th- I think we're like a fungus. We're, we're, we, we destroy at the same rate as a fungus does, for example, uh, decomposing nature. But like, but we, you know, like who, no one, oh. no one else builds buildings. You know, nature is just yeah. natural. And then we're, we create these structures. <laughs> I don't know. Ants are pretty good. At well, it. <laughs> yeah, but they, they build it within kind of thing. But like, not, you know what I mean? Like we, yeah. they don't build like a shopping mall, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, <I> <laughs> I feel like Good point. I feel like humans are the only like astro world. Yeah, we're the only creatures. <laughs> Look how much they get respect, you know? Beavers, it's like they've just they're they're like the the word for vagina. <laughs> no respect. They're the they're the Rodney Dangerfield of, <laughs> of builders. <laughs> but yeah, totally. But totally. I think Sun Ra would agree with you that there's something that Earth is space and there's something yeah. spacey I, I mean, going on here. Yeah. We we transform the <laughs> earth in such a strange way, but I feel Ugh. I mean then you've got our level of creature and then you got an octopus, which is totally not from this planet. It's like you know that that thing is from who knows where. Or like back to the Invisible Girl album cover. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can. It's like you go the deeper you go in the sea, the more outside you go in space. It's it's all reflective. Ooh, and, what yeah, if wonderful. it is outer space? The deeper you go. Oh man. Ooh. Center be, of the Earth uh, is the universe. <laughs> yes, a very good friend of mine. His name is Nathan Roach, and this guy is a genius. And he wrote this incredible book. It's called uh, "The Shallow End of Enceladus," 
it's a bit like Westworld in a way. It's it's like this future world, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of all fucked up, but uh, there's a woman who starts taking diving lessons in this in this scuba place that has this has a has a hole that goes super deep into the ground and and somehow she connects to this to space by going under water. I, I'm not gonna tell you more, but it's it is so beautiful. You know what it's a bit like? It's like interstellar also. I thought you were gonna say hot tub time machine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the Rodney Dangerfield of science fiction. Of science fiction. No respect. <laughs> so okay, so this new jazz album, where can we find this? When is it out? So the great news is that I've had all the recordings are finished. And I think by late summer, I'm going to have it out on vinyl, okay. on CD, everything. And I'm so excited. I think it's the I am. S- it's the most serious piece of music I think I've ever done. And uh, I'm so yeah, excited. I'm really. Have I've, you chosen the album art? Yes, it's it's from my drawings from the this the on Schubert. Oh, good. Yeah, it's called it's called the Inf- Infinite Ones, and okay. it's got a tribute. It's got a requiem for Danny Ray uh, Thompson from the orchestra. It's got a requiem for Hal. Uh, it's got a an attribute also to Yaya, uh, mm-hmm. who taught me so much from the orchestra, you know, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's uh, it's a so cool. deep, deep piece of music. I'm really excited to share it with the world. Wow. Can't wait. That's probably when I'll be done editing this episode. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Ah, but I is... love that. I love that. You effect. like it? Ah, this ah, one, ah, I call that the stereo MC. Wow, it's like flying around in my brain, that voice. Hey, you gotta make a jazz album. <laughs> you should do a you should just do a vocal jazz album. Like no instruments, just you singing like that with that effect. I'll just send you some vocals and you can just stick them wherever. Oh yeah, exactly. Want. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll 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 throw a bass line on it. Yay. Okay, so thank you so much for joining me and and entertaining my listeners with all your fucking amazing stories. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Burn through.
Son, what's a man like me to do alone here in LA? Except blow my brains out on the 